coming to get you, Barbara. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> I love it, though. Now me, I not only drink really, I really drink. We are Buzz on Movies. You know, I, I feel like it's like less awkward to do it that way. You know, start with something like light and funny. Um, but how do you do that? I'm not a light and funny human. I'm a anxious and heavy person. But like, uh, I don't know. We'll get there. Yeah. So with that, uh, welcome to Buzzed On Movies, everyone. Um, Thanks for checking in. I'm Teddy. I'm Matt. Here at Buzzed On Movies, you know, we like to have a drink or two, talk about the latest films. But more important than that, we like to get excited about just the process of going to the movies, just about finding out what you like and seeking it out and even trying something new once in a while. And that, to me, is really what going to the movies is all about. It's more than just staying pigeonholed in your own little sphere. It's about finding new movies and talking about them with friends and getting excited, getting buzzed. Absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, that is the the idea, right? We just want to be excited about going to the movies. I think that uh, it's an awesome thing to do. Too many people just watch at home. But Yeah, they really do. And, um, you know, I like to watch a movie at home. It's comfortable. It's easy to do. You don't have to pay a whole lot of money or um, deal with crowds and people who talk and text in theaters but um, there's just something special about going out to find movies and now with the subscription services um, that are starting to become a little more popular it's starting to be a little cheaper and a little easier to go out there and see movies the way they're meant to be seen in theater right I think uh, a lot of movies are meant to be seen on the big screen as opposed to a small screen And I think that's an important part of film that is lost when you watch things at home. Uh, You know, some movies, I guess it doesn't matter quite as much, but a lot of your bigger pictures, it actually does matter what sort of screen you watch them on and things like that. So going out is important if you can do it. Definitely, definitely. And, And no knocks against people who prefer to watch at home. You know, we just have our own ways and, uh, sometimes, um, it's good to switch it up. Right. I mean, I watch a lot of things at home. I watch a lot of movies in general, so I will watch them at home if I have to. That's not a problem, but I love going to the movies. It's always an adventure every single time. So So, um, we had a few corrections from last time. Our last episode, um, we were sort of getting a little too buzzed, a little too excited, and I forgot to mention a few things. So um, last time I said that in my quest to watch every Oscar-nominated film last year, I watched uh, something like 80-something movies. Um, actually, I looked that up afterwards, and it was 44 features and 15 shorts. Um, not quite as impressive, but uh, still still a lot of fun. You know, I like to toot my own horn a little too much sometimes. I mean, about 59, 60. That's still pretty good. Yeah, it, it still took a lot of time. <laughs> Um, and the other correction I had here was that, uh, last time, um, you made a reference to, um, uh, a movie that where the sequel takes place at the same time as, um, the one preceding it, and to which I riffed that, um, 
we would call that Saw 5. Uh, actually, I meant Saw 4, which is the one that takes place at the same time as Saw 3. Um, so kind of whiff that joke there. But um, if, if you were a little confused, that is the answer to that conundrum. We are very sorry to the loyalist Saw fandom listening to our podcast. Yes, I always hate up, hate to screw up a Saw franchise joke, but um, sometimes it's unavoidable. I'm sorry. Um, so um, moving on, um, last time we told you that um, a couple of movies that we were planning on watching this week. So uh, to start off with, um, this week I saw Overlord and um, the Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald. Just as I'd stated last time, uh, certainly have a lot of thoughts about them, and we're definitely going to cover both of those in this movie, as well as uh, possibly a little Game of Thrones talk. So, if you're looking for, uh, if you're looking to avoid spoilers on any of those, uh, please be warned. Yeah, no holds barred on some of those a little bit later. So, if you have not seen uh, Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald, Overwa- oh, Overlord, or Game of Thrones up through season seven, you should probably steer clear of the rest of this podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking for myself, I also saw the same movies actually this past week. I saw Fantastic Beasts and Overlord, uh, and like Teddy, have a ton of thoughts on each of them. Uh, Especially Fantastic Beasts. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah, I, I've mostly been watching TV, I would say, this week. I'm powering through Sabrina, and uh, yeah. So, I'm still mm-hmm. trying to finish The Haunting of Hill House. So, Someday I'll get to that as well. Um, That'll happen. But, um, so, definitely the one we had the most thoughts on was Fantastic Beasts. So, to briefly go over Overlord... Um, Last time, we were sort of drawn into it by the very high Rotten Tomatoes score, which is uh, quite high relative to being a uh, a genre pick, a, a horror-oriented sort of film. Right, um, so it's a genre horror war film, and it is sitting at a nice 80% still, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, not common. I guess the big question is, does it deserve the 80%, right? Yeah, and um, from my perspective at least, I thought it was deserving of that score. It was a lot of fun. It definitely is by no means uh, this year's Oscar bait. It's not going <laughs> to be a filmmaking masterpiece, but it was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, it did exactly what it set out to do. It was a pretty interesting mashup of a war action movie and a little bit of horror, and it played the lines between them pretty cleverly, I thought. And overall, it was just a really fun evening at the movies for me, so I definitely thought it was um, worthy of its score. Totally. I absolutely agree, actually. Um, I went in not really knowing if I would like it or not. I thought, as we said last time, the trailers didn't lead me to think it'd be like an excellent film or anything. Um, but I had some high hopes and I definitely think it didn't disappoint. I, it was a blast. I mean, it isn't a new concept to take war and have that transition into horror. That's obviously been done before, but I thought this film did it really, really well. I thought, uh, it was brutal where it needed to be and treated its characters well. So I enjoyed it. And, um, for my own part, my theatrical experience was a great one. Actually, uh, 
I met some random strangers at a bar watching football that day and convinced them to go see this movie with me. And we were pretty drunk when we went to see it. And let me tell you, nothing more fun than that for Overlord. By about halfway through, it becomes the most fun movie you could ever watch after <laughs> about like two pictures of Bud Light and gin and tonics. So <laughs> you see Buzz on Movies Faithful. We are not just here talking to you over the internet trying to get you to go see films. We'll be there in person at your bars on the streets begging you to come see movies with us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you see me at a bar watching a game and want to go to a movie, I'm definitely down. So it's a definite flaw of mine. I'll say yes to anybody who wants to see a movie, but practice what you preach. It's important. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, Overlord, even aside from my great theatrical experience was just a good movie. I thought it was, it was well-produced. It was well-directed. It was tense where it needed to be light where it needed to be. Mm -hmm. And generally like accepted that it wasn't like some excellent, like, excellent film that's going to win awards it was just a fun schlocky horror movie with a surprising amount of violence when yeah. the trailer didn't make it clear that there was going to be as much as it was um yeah oh yeah. it was gruesome at some point there were definitely like some full-on torture scenes um uh, not extremely graphic ones like you see in the saw movies or something but definitely uh full-on torture um not um exactly the sort of gore that you'd expect hearing the basic premise of like a nazi zombie movie um but it definitely was pretty bloody um they yeah. it's it's hard to really find a a weakness with this film on its own merits um I and mean, the the characters weren't anything super memorable but they all had something at least relatively interesting to say um the writing did just about what it needed to in getting us from point A to point B. And um, the effects for sort of a low-budget film where this, like this were surprisingly good, I thought. Um, the yeah. sound especially was incredible. And um, this was something where I was really glad I went out to see it in the theater because um, you could really feel the extra boost that that surround sound was giving to this movie. I absolutely agree on the sound. That was something I noticed even in my um, like 11 drink state. Uh, <laughs> I was really impressed by the sound. And furthermore, yeah, the visuals were great. I mean, uh, Pilo Aspic, um, who played the main villain in this film, he looked excellent with his like half ripped open face for half the movie. Like he was awesome. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. I don't know. It looked really good like, the whole time. They did a good job there, like sort of hiding how extensive his injuries had been at first. Like you, you see him covering his face and then only once he makes the transition into being like the ubermensch, um, hopped up uh, Nazi zombie type guy that he ends up being. Then you see like the extent of that bullet wound in his face and it's really creepy moment. Um, right. I, I thought that worked quite well. It was really um, good. I thought... I mean, they handled that sort of thing really, really well, given that this is sort of like a a B-level horror flick that didn't get a ton of publicity, but suddenly, I don't know, I feel like it's bigger than it intended to be, so good for them. Yeah. So Although I will I, say it's still underperforming at the box office, technically. but Yeah, that's unfortunate. So, I mean, if you're out go there, out and see it. Yeah, you're looking for kind of a pulpy, fun action movie to see, 
this is your one right now. This is the one that's in theaters, and I definitely recommend it. So um, check it it out if you have the time. Yeah, Yeah, I would agree. Definitely give it a go. Has my full recommendation. And if you can't see it in theaters, we said the sound is great in a in a big theater, but it is still worth seeing at home later. So if you miss it now, definitely check it out down the line. Yeah. All right. So moving on to our other film this week. Oh um, boy. Which we had a very different uh, take on. I think we both concur on this. Um, well, um, let's start from the very beginning. And I think when I say the very beginning on this, I meant the trailers. Um, oh, <laughs> I was yeah. like, so Harry Potter one came out in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so for me, at least the, so the presage of things to come um, was the horrific slate of trailers that preceded this movie. A um, lot of licensed properties out there these days. Um, most of them about what you'd expect, but there was one in particular that we both just found absolutely horrifying. And that was the trailer for the new ugly dolls movie, um, which is something I, I can't even believe has a movie coming out, but in this day and age, of course it does. Right. I mean, we're running out of ideas if we're only going off of licensed properties at this point, honestly, when the ugly Dale's ugly dolls trailer started i was in shock for a moment because you see these ugly dolls on screen and i was like this can't be happening to me i remember ugly dolls from at some point when they were briefly popular and then it died because that was like only in the late 2000s and never seen from again because it was ridiculous and then it's happening and Kelly Clarkson is singing to me on from the trailer and they're saying Ugly Dolls movie coming out soon. That was surreal, honestly. I, I was just so surprised um, by just how nothing of the movie was revealed in the trailer at all. Um, it wasn't really so much a trailer as it was a music video. And when um, I it saw it... a music video. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> Um, when I saw it originally, I was by the concession stand um, for the beginning of the trailer, and I, I walked in about a third of the way in, I'd say, and the song was going by then, um, and I just assumed that I, I'd miss whatever led into it, and they were just sort of doing like the montage of images you'd see at the end. Um, and then if I went back and watched it later, I'd find out what the plot of this movie was supposed to be. But, um, having watched it again today, um, much to my detriment, uh, I I found out that (laughs) there really wasn't any more than that. It's really just a series of images of these dolls singing along to this song. There's really no idea of any sort of plot in this movie as far as i can tell well i don't think there is a plot i think it's much like the troll the trolls movie recently where it just seems to exist in its own like nebulous like concept of what the world actually is and just puts a movie out there and probably releases a song thinking it's going to be a number one hit for kelly clarkson that's not going to happen um but you know whatever they want to try it I can't believe you subjected yourself to that a second time. It, it was really my mistake. And uh, 
hopefully I'll learn better next time. But uh, I definitely regret that minute and a half. This is the type of trailer where in my audience, when it the trailer sound finished and then it cut to a black screen and said, whatever, 2019, somebody in my auditorium literally said out loud, well, maybe the world will just end by then. God, we and can only hope. They got some some agreements from my <laughs> auditorium. So myself included, I I laughed. I mean, honestly, I would rather the world end than have to sit through that. But I say that now and I can guarantee I'll be sitting through that movie in about a year because now I'm like morbidly fascinated. But Oh, God, no, 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 no. You couldn't pay me to see that movie. Well, I mean, given the right price. Hey, who knows? But no. um, <laughs> I I won't be sitting I've said through things that like movie that for its own sake. <laughs> I mean, if you'll literally pay me, I'll see just about anything. But um, oh, that's a tall uh, order. Not on its own merit certainly um, oh so after that was finished um as well as several other trailers that um we'll probably have to discuss at some point um there was the crimes of grindelwald and um i was not uh very enamored of this movie certainly that's an understatement yeah um my first impression of this was it's just a very confusing movie it's very hard to tell what's happening in the movie a good portion of the time and it doesn't feel like it's necessarily by design like there are several twists in the movie but it's not so much the twists that make you confused during the movie it's just the entire way that it's laid out for sure i mean the the writing is shoddy, right? They don't, there's no, I mean, half the movie, you're wondering why the characters are doing the things they do, why they're making the choices that they've made. It's, I mean, I know we all know that Grindelwald is evil. If you're a Harry Potter fan at all. And if you saw the original, I guess, but it's not really clear what his goal is or what he's up to. Uh, so the fact that everybody hates him and then these other people follow him, it's like, well, why should we care which side anyone chooses? Because for all we can tell, he's just fighting people who fight him. So it's yeah. very confusing the way they present it. Cause it's like, we all know what Grindelwald ultimately gets up to. And that, that that's that he's like trying to enslave non-magic humans and he's a fascist and, you know, an ethnic cleansing kind of guy. But like now this movie doesn't explain any of that. So we all just have to I don't know, try to figure it out as we go. And it's showing a lot of him. I mean, how much Johnny Depp do we see in this movie? But it it doesn't bother to explain any of that. It doesn't explain what half the characters are up to at any given time. And then we just see them making these choices. And it's like, what? why is Tina doing that over here? Why is she so angry all the time? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, why is Newt Scamander like browbeaten or something? Looking like he just got like, punished and sent to detention for three months in every scene he's in like what was that well i thought it was kind of interesting that the movie was called the crimes of grindelwald wherein um like you were saying we, we didn't really see that much of what makes him the bad guy like yeah obviously he's talking a lot about things that are really bad and he clearly has a pretty bad vision of the world but 
like he doesn't commit a lot of crimes per se in this movie um basically until the end and then there's that one scene in like the opening where he decides to like steal a house from some couple and their kid and so we watch his followers kill a couple and their kid but not him and he looks like deliberately pained in the eyes or something like that like i don't really know what was going on there um I think that was supposed to make us think that he's completely evil and beyond saving, which is obviously true of, of Grindelwald, but the movie doesn't explain why it doesn't explain what he actually believes in or cares about other than like his talking points in his weird Trump rally at the end. I don't know, but like it was, I don't know. It has no concept of trying to explain anything to us it doesn't think that we need that and that's very baffling to me because this is a new franchise that for all of its weird ties to harry potter that it has you know it has nicholas flamel and things like that it is really very separate it doesn't i mean it doesn't really bear any resemblance to the harry potter story that we've seen before right um so last time i sort of complained that um, the Fantastic Beast movies are basically a prequel series to Harry Potter and that they were being um, treated as such and that all we're getting shown is the previous lives of a bunch of the older characters and what happened before um, Voldemort and before Harry Potter, basically. Um, I would like to in light of this movie, retract that statement and replace it with (laughs) this movie doesn't talk enough about the Harry Potter franchise and about the characters that we so know and love. Um, It also doesn't really talk about um, Newt Scamander and the Fantastic Beasts that the series is ostensibly about either. It spends a lot of its time instead on a lot of these weird romantic triangles between B characters that we barely even know. And that's like a good third to a half of the movie in the middle. And for that, I've just got no answer. I I don't know what that's all about at all. And no patience. So it, It felt like when, you know, if you remember the first time you saw The Goblet of Fire and the whole movie was really about, like, teen drama between, like, Hermione and Ron and Harry and the people they were asking to the Yule Ball and things like that. It felt a lot like watching that part, right? Except Mm -hmm. those were 14-year-olds, so that was fair. These are adults who are living their adult lives supposedly in the middle of a massive humanitarian crisis. Like, yeah. And these, these, and that's what they're worried about in like, the middle of wartime. are like, Oh, I thought you got engaged. What you weren't engaged. Okay. What? So the two romantic plots in this movie. Okay. There are three actually. So there are three romance romances in this film. You've got Queenie and Jacob. You've mm-hmm. got, uh, Newt and Tina, and then you've got Newt, Lita Lestrange, and Newt's brother Theseus. <laughs> what? We have a love triangle between two brothers and one of the brothers' fiance, and meanwhile, one of those brothers is also in a miscommunication romance subplot with his estranged lover from the first film or whatever. 
I oh, mean, brilliant miscommunication romance. We all it know it made me so mad. You're what? Okay, full spoiler alert. But you're watching a scene towards the end, and they're like in the French Ministry of Magic, which, by the way, should have been a really cool place to see, but was actually just really bland. Mm-hmm. And you have to watch them walk through these bookshelves while he's trying to explain that it wasn't real, that he was engaged, and that it was all like an error published by a magazine. And things, she just keeps cutting him off and won't let him finish a sentence and bookshelves are moving so he can't say what he's trying to say. And it's like, this is infuriating. They are wizards. They can find a way. Like, I don't know why he can't just say a (laughs) sentence, but she keeps talking. And I don't believe that she would just keep talking over him in the middle of a sentence, which makes no sense. It, It was so frustrating because it was so obviously bad writing. Like, yes. you just didn't know what else to do, so you put this miscommunication subplot in because you needed them to have some sort of obstacle to their romance for the whole movie, or else you thought no one would be interested. Well, the effect was that I became less and less interested the more it became clear that you didn't have any actual reason for these two characters to be separated. They just were. Yeah, because it's convenient to the story. And that is one of my uh, big pet peeves about writing in movies, is if you've got... A conflict that can be fixed by the two characters like just sitting down and communicating properly and discussing it then you don't have a real conflict it's just something you've made up because it's convenient to the plot um, right agreed and, but that sort of thing works better on like a again a teen drama or like a kids show or something like that where like mm-hmm. you're dealing with characters who are more inclined to be super wary of what they say and deal with like peer pressure and things like that in ways that adults don't. We are talking about fully grown adults in fully grown jobs. Like there's no reason these people can't just communicate like normal humans. Furthermore, we're expected to believe that the entire wizarding world saw this magazine article about Newt's commander being engaged to Lita Lestrange. And first of all, his brother never brings it up to him never says, oh, by the way, there's an article published that you're engaged to my fiance. Yeah, And oh, that that's he never weird. saw it himself. Ooh. That's just bizarre to me. I mean, it's been months, according to, like, a little caption early in the film when it says three months later, and nobody said something to him. Also, if these magazines are magical, can't they just automatically print a retraction? Shouldn't that be something they're able to do? Yeah, but I don't know. Rita Skeeter is out there. I can believe that they would get something wrong. But yeah, like, I mean, I agree. Like if they, if they find out that something's wrong, you would think that they would be able to very quickly fix that. However, the idea that they would still get something wrong because the wizarding world is still hungry for gossip, whether it's true or not is believable to me. Um, Yeah, true. It's just the fact that he never knew. And so he's like shocked when somebody tells him early in the movie that this article was published what? How did yeah. he not know? I mean, it didn't look like he was just living as a hermit. He was still going about doing his like job thing. Like, he was in a magazine. Doesn't he read his own press at least? Come on. Even if he doesn't, he had an assistant who, by the way, I forgot about until the very moment that I just mentioned it. Um, I've got the other love interest. Yes. And oh well, she definitely had a thing for him. I mean, <laughs> that was extremely clear. Which just, I mean. We could have a whole conversation and probably will about just the way this movie treats its women who seem to all either be in love with Newt's commander, like, or some other man and oh, only want to deal with that. Um, <laughs> um, 
I don't know why any of them are in love with Newt Scamander, personally, but... um, He seems like a nice enough guy. I mean, he's in just this a non-character. Movie, there are worse people to be interested in, certainly. That's true. Um, uh, you could we be interested in Queenie, who wants to ethnically cleanse the world of non-magic people or something now, I guess. Um, oh my but... god, her whole character arc in that movie made no sense, and her character from... Um, the first movie to this movie made no sense at all. It was literally like she was a different person. They just completely uh, wipe out what they did with her in the first movie. 100%. Yeah. There is no resemblance to what they did there. She was honestly one of the saving graces of the first movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, she, she was, was a lot of fun. a delight. She was funny. She was clever. She was a good witch. And then all of a sudden she's jealous and mad and upset and willing to somehow then join the darkest Lord other than Voldemort. I don't really know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there was a lot to like about the first movie, actually. Um, uh, my biggest complaint about it at the time was definitely that they seemed to be shoehorning in so much, uh, like Dumbledore and Grindelwald stuff, um, as opposed to letting fantastic beasts, you know, sort of be its own thing. But now I don't even know what they're getting at with this one. Um, and they did sort of rewrite a lot of the likable and interesting characters that arose from the first one. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's frustrating. I thought the first movie was good, but had flaws, uh, notable among them do include some of its shoehorning of elements from the outer, the bigger franchise into Mm -hmm. it. Um, because it didn't really know how to balance like, Newt's commander is just basic adventure with this like Grindle Grindelwald saga that it was trying to include exactly, in the films. Yeah. Um and that was frustrating to watch, but at least most of the time they really let Newt's commander shine. Like Eddie Redmayne was really just delightful in the first movie, and that carried a mm-hmm. lot of the film, I thought. Um in this one, I don't even feel like they let Eddie Redmayne do his thing. And I don't know. Not letting Eddie Redmayne shine is a mistake in any circumstance. He's a good actor. And if you have him, you should let him work his magic because he can win over anyone, I think. Um, And they didn't. They didn't let him do anything. And that's really a shame because he's a he's there. He's their best like playing card right now, other than now they have Jude Law on their side. But um, yeah, he definitely got sidelined. Um, but even like I expected maybe he gets sidelined by the whole, um, Dumbledore Grindelwald thing. But even that I think was sort of pushed by the wayside. We didn't get to see nearly as much as I would have liked, um, compared to how much there was that they could have explored. Uh, um, Jude yeah. Law was good. Um, I expected that Johnny Depp would be a great weakness for this movie, but I actually found myself wanting to see more of him on the screen just because he was actually sort of interesting. And when he was on the screen, the plot seemed to actually sort of move along a little bit more than uh, a lot of the other scenes. Yeah, I do. I do agree that some of the plot moved along when Johnny Depp was on screen. Um, I don't know how much of that really had to do with his character. I mean, his, did his character really do anything until the final act? I mean, he just sort of stood around in rooms looking like angry and sad while other people did things. No, I mean, yeah, he, he gathered people places. He told people to do things. 
He was there when other things happened. You know, it, he it was there when things happened. <laughs> he was. <laughs> uh, it wasn't so much that he really did anything fantastic in there, but it was that you know he at least knew how to look interesting and be interesting while he was in these scenes. Um, Correct. Which is so, more than I can say for other of the scenes that didn't involve him. I mean, you're right. Um, my favorite. Grindelwald Johnny Depp scene was early on when you have the sequence that's opening the film where he escapes from the like the Thestral carriage ride into the storm or whatever because nobody can make a prison escape unless it's violently storming of course and um he's escaping and you see that it becomes very clear quickly that he switched places with this other guy right yeah. And like, just like magically, they have exchanged bodies or whatever. And the guy inside the carriage looks out, and Johnny Depp's head just like pokes from around the corner and just looks <laughs> in and doesn't say anything. I laughed so hard. Like, I was like, what is this? A game of peekaboo? Like, he just like looks in and then looks away. Like, what are you doing, Grindelwald? Like, yeah. Oh, um, man. I feel like that first scene so perfectly set the tone for what was to come too. Cause like there was that goofy moment and then there was also just the utter confusion of what was going on in that scene between being like, wait, what sort of um, spell did they use to switch places? And like, did they actually switch places or were they like disguised using a potion or something? Yes. So it's past the security. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. What's happening in the scene. I don't know. So it's completely yeah. unclear how they switch places. Um, that makes no sense. It's unclear what they're talking about when they're like, and now he needs to pay for his European crimes. And they send him away to go be tried in Paris, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. None of it makes any sense. And then he loses this, like, or he gets this, this exciting locket or whatever it is that we will find out in the climax of the movie is the result of a blood oath that I guess produces a metallic charm for some reason. Yeah. What is that about? (laughs) When was that a thing? I mean, Uh, Draco Malfoy didn't have that option when he made a blood oath in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, did he? He just had to go through with it or die. Like The rules just constantly change in this universe. Like, uh, originally, like... Um, unspoken magic where you just wave your wand is like a very hard thing to do and now at this point it's something people do all the time virtually Um, everybody in this movie does magic without waving a wand yeah and originally like you had to use specific spells that had like very specific reactions each time and at this point it's just people sort of waving the wands and like a big beam of light comes out and damages stuff and that's kind of the only spell anyone knows how to do at this point. Uh, so the rules are just pretty much constantly changing. So you, you, you have to take that on a movie-by-movie basis, I think. I mean, absolutely. The, those rules are never the same from movie to movie. I'm just wondering, did you ever play the Harry Potter video games? Um, I played one of the computer games. I remember playing this um, this very old windows game where you were like hopping around collecting birdie bots beans it was very difficult and very boring but yeah i, I played I, that i, I have played one. some birdie bots collecting games <laughs> but there's a spell in all of the like games based on all of the movies that you learn where it literally just like knocks your opponent back and does nothing else like it's just like a blast of energy mm-hmm. 
And I can't remember what it's called in the games, but I feel like that's basically all they're using in every single movie now. And they don't say anything. It's just like they do something and people are just like thrown around and light happens. Like (laughs) there's nothing else going on anymore. Occasionally you'll get a spell like in this movie when they make the guard at the statue that lets them through the muggle world of Paris into the magical world of Paris. They make him like laugh hysterically or whatever. Um, Mm. That's like, Otherwise, you don't get a unique spell. You just see things happen. Um, Some of my favorite magic moments included when Grindelwald decided that he needed to call his followers. So he made black sheets drape the entirety of Paris and only half the people could see them, I guess. And the people who did see them, only his followers cared and everybody else just went on their business for the day. (laughs) what what's going on it's very Um, subtle yeah it was very bizarre i don't understand what was going on there oh that's so much more metal than the dark mark though that just make every (laughs) building turn black honestly nothing is more metal than the dark mark the dark mark is a skull with a snake crawling out of it that is a definition of metal (laughs) like i want the dark mark tattooed on me and it's a shame that i don't have it yet I'm going to get it this weekend. For real? I don't know. Lauren's here. But, um, <laughs> like, I don't know. The, it's just, like, frustrating how sort of, like, broad and malleable everything has become in the expanded Harry Potter universe, right? Mm-hmm. There's no set hard and fast rules anymore, which means there are no stakes. Like, if you don't have any rules on what's happening, it's hard for anybody to care because everything can change from minute to minute. So the big example in this movie is that two of the sole emotionally resonant moments from the first Fantastic Beast movies have been completely retconned for this movie. Right. Yeah. In the first movie, you had Jacob completely obliviated. He was going to forget his entire time in the magic world. You open this movie and that's undone. He remembers everything now. Yeah, and the excuse they have is so ridiculous, too. They're like, oh, it only does away with the unhappy memories. Tell Gilderoy Lockhart that it only does away with that. (laughs) I I didn't have any unhappy memories, so it's only the happy ones. (laughs) That makes no sense. When has that ever been a thing? Nobody else has ever felt that. When Hermione obliviated her parents in Deathly Hallows, they forgot everything. Like, they forgot she even existed. Are you telling oh. me they had no happy memories of her? Yeah, that's crazy. It and makes no sense. And and the most annoying thing is like they're literally retconning the last movie, like the very most recent movie that came out. It, it's one thing if they're trying to rewrite something that happened in like book one of Harry Potter, where it's just like an inconvenient fact that they wrote 20 years ago that they don't want to have to deal with anymore. But this is literally the last movie that came out. If like three years later, they're already having to rewrite things and work around stuff. Then there's clearly like no plan at all for how this story is going to come together. Right. I mean, they are clearly just making it up as they go and hoping that they can figure it out. And that's frustrating. I mean, that just shows such a, a lack of foresight, a lack of creative energy, it's exhausting to watch, especially as as I would classify myself and as I think you would too, a lifelong Harry Potter fan. Like, yeah, basically, as long as those books have been going, I've been a huge fan. And now I'm watching this franchise just like completely tank. And it's upsetting. Um, 
It, yeah, I mean, we we care about it. We like the franchise. We want to see it do well, but it, it's hard to follow when it seems like the rules change like every other installment. Right. I mean, you have Jacob and his weird Obliviate thing no longer being real. And then, you know what, backtracking, Jacob and his Obliviate thing. I mean, even in the last movie, when he walks away after they do it, he has clearly forgotten everything. Mm -hmm. What? How are we? Whatever. Okay, you know what? I'm going to move on. And then they, you find out in this movie, I mean, you find out in the trailer, if you saw the trailers, but you find out in the movie that Creedence Barebone, the Obscurus from the first film, who exploded in a black cloud and destroyed everything and definitely died, is alive? I mean, it's very clear that he was meant to die in that, and then they decided, oh, wait, we need to bring him back. And so you spend this whole movie knowing that he's back. I mean, you find out early on and I can forgive that and whatever, because the obscurest thing was also a new concept. So sure, the rules might be different. However, it becomes clear by the end of the movie that the whole reason that they brought him back was, spoiler alert, he's a surprise Dumbledore brother. I mean, (laughs) what? The twist was just so underwhelming, really. It was like, well... Yeah, okay. First of all, that makes barely any sense. But second of all, even if we accept that, it doesn't mean anything at all. Like, this isn't someone that Dumbledore clearly knows. Otherwise, he would be like, that's my brother he's going after or something. Like, no, Dumbledore doesn't know. So this affects basically nothing. Right, it's, this it's isn't... like a surprise in fact. It's a, a, like, this should be surprising. Ah, he's a Dumbledore. It's like... So- there had been no build up to the idea that there was a new Dumbledore. There had been no idea that he had any other brother. He'd never mentioned anyone. There had been no allusion to another story of another brother. The only ones we knew of were Albus and Aberforth, right? Those were mm-hmm. the two. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we're getting a new one. This isn't like in Game of Thrones when you have seven seasons building up to the idea that Jon Snow is actually a Targaryen. And we should all care about this because that means that the throne is up for grabs again in a way yeah. that we didn't expect. Like, this has support- no bearing on anything. Yeah. I don't know what it's supposed to mean. I don't know why it matters. Like, it's just he's a Dumbledore now. And why Why have we never heard that there was another Dumbledore if that's the truth? Maybe it's not the truth. Maybe we're going to find out that uh, Grindelwald is lying to him in the first place. That's very possible. Maybe. But... I feel like we still would, I don't know. I guess my overall problem here is that this is shaping up to be presented as like such a big story. And yet it's hard to do that with a prequel when we have been made aware of none of these characters. And it's like, well, so we're supposed to believe that nobody talks about this anymore. They just all have swept it under the rug. Like, Mm -hmm. like this time that Paris almost got completely destroyed by a giant blue flaming demon and nobody cared. Um, like, Okay. Um I don't know. Yeah. It's like bizarre. It like it can't find what it wants to be, basically. This movie wants to be like the prequel series. It's like Grindelwald is the second most evil villain that's ever happened in the wizarding world. But also he's doing some of the like biggest magic that we've ever seen done in these movies, like creating the stupid thing from Night on a Bald Mountain in Fantasia out of <laughs> a cemetery. Like Yeah. I don't know. 
Yeah, and um, I thought you gave a good counterpoint there with Game of Thrones. Like, that's how you make an audience care about a twist. They, like, they didn't really reveal it early on, but they gave uh, enough context to it that when it did get revealed, you cared about it. Like, it had consequence. This, um, this just didn't have any sort of consequence whatsoever. And... I mean, none of this movie has consequence because the moment it opens, they retcon two of the only moments of consequence in the last movie. So how can anything bear any weight anymore? There's also the fact mm-hmm. that we have looming over us these eight movies of the original series. So we have these high stakes. We know Dumbledore's not going to die. Things like that. Like, yeah. what are the stakes mm-hmm. here? I mean, I know that lots of prequels face that and there have been good prequels in the world. But if you're going to be a good prequel, you have to do something better than this, like making the stakes exclusively about like the life or death situation these characters are in. Because we know who's going to live and who's going to die here. We right. all know. Like we know Newt Scamander makes it out of this. We know Albus Dumbledore makes it out of this. Don't try Please. to pretend otherwise. Make us care like how it happens or care about the characters themselves. But right. it, it spends so many so much time with twists and like um backroom intrigue that it doesn't really do a lot of uh of character building or making the audience actually care about these people that we're seeing on the screen um my biggest complaint about this was pretty much the entire middle third of the movie is just a bunch of disconnected scenes of all these different characters, a good portion of whom we either haven't seen before or haven't seen a lot of before, and we don't get any real interactions with them. They're all talking about, um, just like in twos and threes, talking about things that are going to happen or have happened, but half the things they talk about end up being wrong because they get revealed later on to have been mistaken. And there's just so many twists and so many things that get retconned that it's hard to tell what's even going on for a good good half of the movie, I'd say. Um, it's like it's trying to be a mystery film almost, except the mystery that you're trying to solve in, is what is even going on in the movie. <laughs> and if you find that out by the end, then you've solved the mystery. Um, but I don't feel like the movie itself could have solved it by the end. No, by the end of this movie, there's no idea what's happening. Like it makes no sense. <laughs> that whole, um, that whole plot with, um, uh, Corvus Lestrange was like, it was billed as like a, a twist in itself only for another twist to come on being like, Oh, he's not. So first it was a twist that he's Corvus Lestrange and then it's a twist that he's not. So okay. you can't have you know two twists with the same thing. I am so mad about the Lestrange plot in this movie. Okay, so we're presented with the Lestranges. First of all, you have Zoe Kravitz here, so you should make the most of her at any given time because she's amazing. And they don't, full disclaimer now yeah. up front. Um, but like all that happens in the Lestrange plot 
is that, first of all, one of them has a creepy octopus in his eye or whatever. It's unclear why that happened. I don't know why he had a parasite in his body. I don't know what its purpose was, but it was there and we had to watch it get pulled out. Can anybody explain to me what the purpose was? Who infected him with that? Why did they infect him with that? What was the parasite doing? What was it after? Was it... It honestly had nothing. There was no purpose. He got it in the sewer and then they took it out and it was gone. And yeah, like there were no long lasting impacts of that. I guess that's ridiculous. It was another beast for them to show. So, um, sure, but that doesn't, (laughs) it wasn't a particularly impressive one. So it, it's not like there was even much to talk about there, but see, but like something like that should be right up my alley because that's like some sort of body horror. And as a horror fan, I love that sort of thing. And yet I was just like mad. I was like, why are we watching this? I don't know why this has any bearing on anything. Is this why he's been acting so bizarrely for the only scenes we've seen him in where he acts like a crazy person who can't speak to another human like in any normal fashion? No, that's not why. That's just who he is. Like, and that's fine if he's just like abnormal and whatever. It turns out that he has like a tragic backstory and that tragic backstory is first of all disgusting um yeah. <laughs> i mean it's literally black woman raped by white master type thing yeah, like quite offensive yeah um <laughs> that's like i don't even understand why that's happening um i mean i can't believe that jk rowling wrote this just knowing the things that i see from her on social media where it seems that she's extremely like aware of issues like but she did. She wrote that, and that's infuriating because mm-hmm. it's really despicable to watch. We have to watch this little strange plot unfold, knowing that the whole backstory by the end that we're rev- that we get is just that it really comes down to white man raping black woman. Why? Why is that what we get? And, and it doesn't then, end up even mattering. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, it. Yeah, I mean. How it matters is for Lita, except for Lita is treated so horribly by this film that it's like criminal that they even brought her in. Why is she involved yeah. in this? Yeah. Like they should have just left her out. Honestly, like all that she's here for is to recount that story or be part of the recounting of that story and then give a massive info dump that she is actually responsible for the death of her own brother who she baby swapped on the magical equivalent of the Titanic sometime years ago. And, or was it, I mean, it wasn't the actual Titanic. wasn't just as a sidebar. I mean, this was set in that time frame. Was this the Titanic? Uh, I, they didn't, I don't think they ever directly said that it was, but I suppose it could have been. It okay. Be I'm just, that's a totally maybe. irrelevant. That's a conversation for another day, but headcanon yeah, is yeah. now that they were all on the Titanic. Um, a lot of ships sank back then. It could have been any ship. Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Lusitania, for all I know. But, um, like, probably not that. That was a war boat. But anyway, um, <laughs> there's, like, um, like, she is responsible for this happening to her brother. And then, so, I, I don't really know what the point was. Like, it was, like, offensive the way they treated her. And then she sacrifices herself for some reason to grindelwald and it's unclear what connection there was there in the first place like i don't i don't know it was really frustrating to watch honestly the whole strange plot unfold yeah and her treatment is um offensive 
second only to uh, the treatment of Nagini in the film, which um, I thought was borderline absurd in terms of how her character was created. First of all, um, the fact that she's even a person and not a snake is ridiculous. And I think sort of indicative of the sort of retconning that's been going on in the Harry Potter universe where there always has to be some sort of um, bizarre twist from how you thought things actually were. Um, and the implications of these twists aren't often really considered because now we have to be like, oh, so Neville was murdering an innocent woman when he killed that snake at the end of the Harry Potter series? Oh, well, we don't have to really consider the ethics of that. Let's just, um, because it's kind of fun that she's a woman who turns into a snake for some reason. I don't know. Um, right. But, it's also like not fun at all. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like sad and upsetting and why is a woman of color relegated to the role of somebody who's going to become permanently a snake and a pet of the most evil character in the franchise? Yeah. Like, um, and like, I thought the idea of the curse was kind of cool, like being cursed to eventually turn into an animal, but like, um, it didn't have any, uh, bearing on the plot in this movie. Her character was, essentially silent the entire movie just sort of led through the various scenes um and really never got to say anything interesting or do anything interesting she was basically treated as the plot device that she was but she did get to go to hogwarts at the end with the good guys to inform albus dumbledore that his freedom was secured so <laughs> she's winning here i guess yes hashtag winning it was, I mean, I agree with you 100%. It was infuriating to watch. Um, I'm hoping they can do a little more with her in the three installments still to come. Um, but I'm not optimistic. Yeah. Because, yeah, obviously they haven't given themselves a good track record so far, especially with women of color. Uh, but we'll see what happens, I guess. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously overall... Um, we were pretty disappointed with this movie. There were good aspects to it. I thought um, the special effects were incredible. Um, yeah, the, they, the, I mean, the beasts themselves, when they showed up, looked great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, to an extent, even better than the last movie. I think you know, Harry Potter movies in general have pretty good effects. They really um, throw a lot at that, and this one definitely was no exception. Um, I will say that that excludes the Pokemon black cats who looked uh, yeah. just ridiculous from yeah, start to finish. I think those have universally been um, decried and rightfully so. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the special effects, the overall look of the film was really cool. Um, costumes, the art design, all really great. Um, and I thought for the most part, the actors were really good too. I mean, there, there weren't a lot of weak performances in there. It's just they really did not have a lot to work with writing-wise for some of these scenes. No, most of the actors had nothing to work with, but they you can tell that they were trying, like yeah. every single one of them pretty much. Um, I don't know if it's worth even trying to mention standouts because most of them were given so little that nobody really stood out. Yeah. Um, obviously, I think Eddie Redmayne really did try his hardest as the lead role. Um, didn't really work out for him. 
yeah. Jude Law was disturbingly, I don't know, uninteresting as Albus Dumbledore, who should be a very interesting character. So that's kind of a bummer. Um, but I don't think that's his fault. I think that's the writing. Yeah. Again, and also the, the fact that they put Albus Dumbledore in like a gray open jacket suit for most of the movie when Albus Dumbledore dresses ridiculously in every other movie <laughs> that we've ever seen him in. Maybe uh, that's something he develops later on. He just gets eccentric in his whole age. Yeah, he just decides that after the Grindelwald saga, he's going to be as gay as possible. Um, <laughs> like, after this, I'm just letting it all out. He's like, well, I've defeated my ex-gay lover, so now I'm uh, just out here doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, eating earwax beans and <laughs> giving more cryptic messages than I do in this movie for some reason. Yeah, and so that does lead us to another, well, one final complaint we had about this movie is um, the treatment of Dumbledore's homosexuality. Um, it's just, it's barely there. It's almost not there at all. Um, it's basically and, written like a fan fiction would write it, right? Like, yeah, you you don't get to see it, obviously. There's nothing that really happens, but we get to see, like, in the mirror of Era said, um, Dumbledore sees himself and Grindelwald back when they were young at one point and like we get to watch mm-hmm. this like sort of like they look into one another's eyes and stand closely and somebody says y'all were as close as brothers and Dumbledore just says closer than brothers that's literally the most we get Ooh, that's it saucy yeah <laughs> yeah um, it's very 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 heavy stuff there not great and you know I I feel like when uh, J.K. Rowling originally announced that uh, Dumbledore was gay, it did sort of feel like like a tossed aside comment. Like, oh yeah, there was inclusion in these book series because this character was gay, even though we never talked about it, we never showed it. Um, it was inclusive because he was. It was just secret. And um, so now is the chance to um, actually show um, what that means. And um, at least so far in this movie, she hasn't done a good job of really including that. So um, let's step it up. Uh, I want to see more gay, gay Dumbledore in the next one. Um, I absolutely want to see more gay Dumbledore. I mean, what's the point of making him gay if we never get to see anything about it? Like, right. you could have just never commented on his sexuality and then he would have been a non-sexual character forever. But now you've got it out there and you're not doing anything with it. And it's just pandering. Like it's in fear. It's frustrating. It's, I don't know. Yeah. So definitely want to see this movie franchise get gayer. If they know what's good for them, it will, because I mean, it'll sell more tickets if it gets gayer. So yeah, definitely, definitely will. Um, So I do feel like this is sort of the, the second week in a row that we've been disappointed that a character isn't quite as gay as we would like. Uh, honestly it is (laughs) yeah it's sort of becoming a theme um and i'd like it not to be as much a theme i'd like to um explore this topic in a more positive sense so i think next week what we're going to try to do is find the gayest movie we can um and hopefully have something good to say about that yes i am so in for this yeah so um, no no idea what that movie will be just yet. Might be a new release, might not be a new release. Um probably won't be. Um yeah. 
we'll probably have to do a little digging, but um, hopefully we'll find something interesting and be able to talk about it next week. Yeah, I'm excited. Find the gayest movie we possibly can <laughs> that is somehow still, we can still connect it back to this conversation. So, right. yeah, you know, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think that's a good endeavor for our coming week. Um, so I think with that, we kind of wrap up our, um, thoughts on Grindelwald, uh, definitely not what we would have hoped for. I, you know, I, I went in not expecting the greatest movie, but at least hoping for a kind of a good popcorn flick, but I feel like I was even kind of let down on that front. So, uh, yeah, it (laughs) it really was. So I'm hoping they can turn it around, um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm hoping they take the criticism to heart. They are not getting good takes from anyone. So mm-hmm. I am hoping that they can take some of that to heart and put out a better movie next time because we do have three more after uh, the crimes of Grindelwald. Three more. So, oh three. my God. I mean, I will be shocked if they stick to that three. I really will. Um, Especially because this one kind of proved that they don't have the material for three more movies. I mean, nothing happened in this movie until about the last like thirty minutes. But yeah, um, oh yeah. My God. So we'll see what happens there. But I hope that they can listen because they need to make some changes quickly. Right. Okay. So um, winding down for today, I guess we can talk about a few little items of news that have come across our desks recently. Yeah. Um, well, I can start. Um, even today, uh, Margot Robbie announced the new title for the next DC Expanded Universe movie in the Suicide Squad vein, and that will be Birds of Prey, parentheses, in the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, close parentheses. Uh, I don't really know what they think to it, they're achieving there. Is this a panic of the disco song circa 2006? Um, <laughs> is ridiculous. I mean, fantabulous. Yes. Fantabulous. I don't know. I think not enough attention is being paid to the fact that the word fantabulous is in this title. <laughs> That's absurd. Fantabulous was popular. What? When elf came out, like, no, we don't say that anymore. Nobody says that. Like, also, Emancipation. What is this? Mariah Carey's, like, last album that had a song that anyone cared about? Like, <laughs> this is absurd. That I don't know. I just think it's ridiculous. And it's pretty indicative of the fact that, like, the DC universe does not care about anything real. All they want to do is, like, sort of be seen as, like, quirky and funny so that people will come see their movies. It's silly. It's stupid. They're but we're trying, still going all in on it. Yeah, they're trying very hard to get memed to death at this point. Um, and my advice is just don't take the bait. I um, yeah. I sort of checked out on the DC Universe a while ago and resolved to stop seeing the films. And Good so for far, you. I felt well served by that. I have seen all of them still. <laughs> I mean, I know there haven't been that many, but I have seen them all. And I'm going to keep seeing them all. Oh. And I'm going to keep being mad about it. Uh, <laughs> if the Aquaman trailer is any indication. 
That's your right as an American. Oh, I probably will see Aquaman. I mean, James Wan at least is enough. Yeah, that's the saving grace of Aquaman is that James Wan is in it. Jason Momoa could be a saving grace, but I don't like what how they're forcing him to behave the whole way. So right, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look promising. Um, I mean, if I have to see Aquaman jump from a great height and scream that one scream that he does every <laughs> single time one more time, I'm gonna lose my mind. I mean, I I get it. He liked to jump out of planes and top from the top of buildings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He doesn't have to do it every time. Not every movie. I don't movie. even know. Why is that even his thing? Like, he's it shouldn't an underwater be. guy. Exactly. Exactly. It makes no sense. It, I, I don't know. It's stupid. Um, so, I don't know. The DC universe is still trying, and maybe they'll get better. But I don't have high hopes based on this stupid Harley Quinn vehicle that is Birds of Prey. Oh, wait. Oh. That brings me to a bit of an older piece of news, but um, something almost equally absurd. Isn't somebody ridiculous um, directing the next Suicide Squad movie? Is somebody ridiculous directing it? Yes. Well, I'm sure I can figure that out. Um, I know that somebody ridiculous produced both of them, or produced the first one and will be producing the second one. Um. You know that, right? Um, who was that? The producer? Yeah. It was. Give me a second. Um, or not the producer. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, it's one of the Trump admin people. Um, oh, really? Yeah, it's like his secretary of commerce or something. Um, <laughs> Is it Steve Mnuchin? Yeah, it's Steve Mnuchin, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Mnuchin did something with this one. What did he do? Okay. Oh, no, there it is. Yeah, so he produced in 2016 Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Suicide Squad. Oh, boy. Yeah. DC's going all in. So I'm sure he's doing Suicide Squad 2 is my point there. Um, Although he probably can't because now he can get paid for it. Um, Mm. So Suicide Squad 2 is being directed by... James Gunn. Oh, gosh, is it really? Yes. That is so sad. James Gunn. I think that's just so hilarious. Like kicked off Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. So he got kicked out of Guardians 3. So then DCA hired him. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I don't even want to wade into the battles of the Guardians of the Galaxy thing. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That is funny though. Yeah. Oh boy. So um, other online drama related this week the author of the jack reacher films and uh and books announced that they would be recasting the role of jack reacher for the upcoming tv series because tom cruise was too short for the role (laughs) i honestly I can't stop thinking about it. Imagine (laughs) being Tom Cruise, one of the most famous action stars in American cinema right now, and also just in general, and getting the call saying, by the way, we're recasting you because you're too short. (laughs) I I feel like the way it actually went down is Tom Cruise refused to... Um, 
act in a TV show, at least what they were for what they were offering him. And so um, they build it as their choice to go with a new star versus having to say, yeah, we couldn't afford that Tom Cruise TV budget. Um, but yeah, it is pretty ridiculous now that that's what they're putting out into the press just to sort of uh, try to make Tom Cruise look bad. <laughs> I hope for Tom Cruise's sake that it honestly was his choice in the first place and they're just saying whatever they can to make him look bad instead. Yeah, that I makes really it a do little less. Because I hate skinny. the idea of Tom Cruise getting that call. I know Tom Cruise isn't. <laughs> has done some messed up things, but I that's a terrible call to get. Nobody deserves that. That's ridiculous. No, I mean, he hasn't done anything to deserve getting the call that you're too short to play a star that you have played before, yeah. a character that you have played, I guess I should say. And pretty well, too. I, I, I didn't see the second one, but I liked the first one. They were silly, but they were fine. And he yeah. was fine. I mean, Tom Cruise has never done anything without doing it to the best of his ability. So Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, that did happen. Uh, I forget that that was within the past week because the past week has been so long. Um, uh, other, some better news. Um, uh, Grady Hendrix's recent horror novel, my best friend's exorcism is officially being greenlit for adaptation. Um, so we will have a movie coming soon from that going to be produced by christopher landon who if you have been following horror you know he did uh happy death day and will be doing the sequel uh that's he's a director for those two films he'll be producing my best friend's exorcism articles say that this is being sort of built as possibly a directing goal for him as well so uh he could be directing it personally i think he would be the perfect director for it um not just because he's a gay man in horror but you know that helps (laughs) Um, yeah. so, uh, if yeah, you I... do have the chance, read my best friend's exorcism. It's a great book. Super fun. It's more a summer horror read, but it's good anytime. Right. Yeah. His star definitely seems to be on the rise. Uh, the happy death day movies are, um, doing well, better than anyone could have expected. I think the first one was great. I re- I mean, great might be a strong word, but it was good. It was really good. I thought mm-hmm. it was fun. It was campy. Um, I laughed a lot. I jumped a lot. What more do you want from a horror comedy? You know? Yeah. Um, so also one of my, um, favorite mazes at the Halloween horror nights at universal Orlando. So I am so jealous of that. <laughs> that that sounds fun. so fun. Yeah. Um, uh, the last little bit of news I had here was, um, movie pass this week announced that it would not be doing a reverse stock split that it had been planning for a while. I think they didn't get the votes on that one. Investors are pretty uh, annoyed at them with the dilution they've been seeing recently in their investments. Um, They previously did a stock split that was something ridiculous. It was like 500 to 1 or something. Um, And that brought their stock up to a you know, a normal level, something in the $20 range, I think it instantly went down to like two cents, which has been hovering around for the last several months. Um, They're looking like they're going to probably be delisted from the stock exchange soon. So um, 
things are not looking good for uh, the MoviePass parent company these days. Um, and it's kind of sad to see, you know, um, we both signed on to MoviePass last year um, when they announced their $9.99 a month unlimited movie plan. And uh, we definitely both took incredible advantage of it. I think <laughs> I saw like uh, 15 movies one of those months. I've definitely seen uh, close to 100 in the last year just off of Movie Pass. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, for sure. Probably we're a small part of why they're doing so badly right now. But, um, you know, I like the idea. It just seems like they, they have absolutely no way of making it profitable right now. And uh, so it's unfortunate, but it was a lot of fun while it lasted. And we definitely saw a lot of movies. And I think that's sort of, inspired us a little bit to get out there go to the theaters more often and in a way sort of inspired us to do this podcast so we salute you movie pass and uh we're sorry to see you go and you definitely seem to be going definitely seem to be let's fingers crossed keep keep them that way um hopefully they'll stick around because i would love to see movie pass make a comeback because like you said that is sort of what incited me to keep seeing movies after I was no longer working at a theater. Um, and I would be sad to see it go. Yeah. yeah. But it's not looking good right now. Yeah. Cause working at the theater used to be like the only real thing that got me seeing current movies. You know, like usually I'll see um, maybe a movie every month from the stuff that comes out. But if you, if you really start going all the time, it's incredible how many movies are coming out during a year. There's like three or four a week. And especially if you count in like limited releases, indie films, there's more than enough to, if you live in a major city to see one every day. Right. uh, And still have it be something new. Absolutely. And, and just doing that, you know, gets you exposed to a lot of new stuff you wouldn't see otherwise. And, I feel like I benefited from that. Um, In terms of new stuff um, to be seeing, we've got a couple ideas for next week. Not exactly sure what we're going to see yet, but we've got a sort of a short list that we're working on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, well, first of all, we have our, our challenge to ourselves to see the gayest movie possible. Oh yeah. Um, That will happen. We'll find something for you and come back. But aside from that, some uh, upcoming new releases, we've got The Favorite, the new Yorgos Lanthimos film. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. I've liked his other films, Sacred, uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer and uh, The Lobster. Both great. Yeah, um, those are crazy movies. I'm sure this is going to find some sort of mind-bending angle to show us. Um, that It definitely doesn't seem like it's going to be a typical period piece at all. No, absolutely. And the cast looks great. The trailers look like a blast. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, on probably the exact opposite spectrum, we have uh, the Wreck-It Ralph sequel, Ralph Breaks the Internet, uh, which looks mm-hmm. really delightful. I mean, the first one was a lot of fun. It was charming. It was endearing. So I'm excited about the new one. And hopefully it lives up to my expectations. Yeah. I mean, um, definitely love the last one. This one, uh, it's definitely got a lot of positive press. It has this aspect to the trailers when I'm watching it that it seems like this movie is going to basically be about everything, which sort of breaks my brain for a moment. But um, I think actually 
that it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm definitely going to check it out at least. So we'll see. For sure. For sure. I'm going to as well. Um, To run through the list, we've got a few other new releases coming out this week. Um, Roma, the new Alfonso Cuaron film, is opening. Uh, I'm really excited about that. I think you are as well. Um, Reviews are stellar coming in. um, So hopefully we'll both be able to check that out in the coming week or two. Yeah. Um, Apparently Alfonso Cuaron does his own cinematography in this movie and people are saying that he should win uh both the directing and the cinematography oscar which would truly be incredible um yet nothing but good news for this one i think so i'm very excited to see it when it comes around absolutely i'm really really looking forward to it hopefully i can catch it in the coming week uh and then we'll see if you can as well um the new Robin Hood will open, starring Taron Egerton and Jamie Foxx. We will have the new film Green Book with Viggo Mortensen. Um, and then Creed 2, of course, is opening, actually, um, which I keep forgetting about, but <laughs> is coming. Yeah. Uh, first one was good. We'll see how this one is. I, I got to say, I haven't watched a lot of the Rocky movies myself. Actually, I don't think I ever actually saw rocky one but i have what? seen creed. that can't be right i think i think that's one of my gaps there um but i have seen creed and it was good so let's go creed 2 well i am maybe, looking forward to creed 2 as well i think the cast is good i mean i like michael b jordan but um i am looking more forward to out of those three that i last mentioned uh green book I think uh, it looks interesting. I think Viggo Mortensen is good. And I think Marshall Ali is going to be excellent. I think he's always excellent. Oh, yeah. So He's been amazing uh, in the last few things he's been in. Right. Uh, I agree with that. All right. So um, that's sort of a rough guide to our plans for the next week. Obviously, we're not seeing all of those. We've got Thanksgiving coming up. But we'll see a couple of them. And we'll get back to you. Let, us, let you know what we think. Um, yeah. For now, uh, we're not on a lot of the social media at this point, but we are on Twitter, at BuzzedOnMovies. Please feel free to give us a follow. Shout out to us. Um, we'll respond. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, you can talk to us on there. Let us know what you think or uh, give us a review on the podcast uh, if you're listening. And um, we'll try to get back to you. Um as always, uh, this is Buzzed On Movies, and we're trying to bring you uh, the most exciting view of cinema we can give you. So, till next time. See Hope you to see movies. you at the movies. <laughs>